My name is Ted Chen. I'm part of the team here, and I've had the privilege and pleasure of kind of occupying this end of the year, beginning of the new year preaching slot of Vintage for the last several years. And I really like it because we get to reflect on the past year and see what God may have in store for us for the coming year. How many of us made New Year's resolutions in 2021? All right, good. Keep your hand up if you largely kept to those resolutions. All right, not as many. Me too. One that I did pretty well on is uh, I made a resolution to drink fewer sugary sodas. Thanks to LaCroix, Bubbly, and Waterloo, I largely did well. And my goal was to be healthier, be more fit, so I could look like this guy. Q. This is Pastor Ash, who used to be a model. This is one of his best photos. He was a big deal in Europe. He loves it when I throw this up. My nickname for him is Vintage Zoolander. All right, I'm dead meat. One of my other New Year's resolutions was to just be careful about what I watch, what I consume online and streaming, and to watch fewer Quentin Tarantino movies which is hard for me because I love Quentin Tarantino movies. You know, I love it when Jamie Foxx gets revenge on slave owners and Django Unchained and when Brad Pitt gets revenge on Nazis and inglorious bastards. But I realized it was stimulating these revenge fantasies of my own, albeit on a much smaller scale, like what I would do if I confronted someone who cut me off or what I would say if someone said something mean or rude to me. Now, it's, it's when I feel like I've been wronged like that that my worst behavior comes out, my worst instincts. I can be rude, I can be impatient. And I'd like to think that I, I wouldn't take it to the next level. I would never do something like berate a flight attendant or, God forbid, physically assault a flight attendant like we've seen several times this year. But if I'm honest with myself, you know, I have to wonder, what if I were pushed to the brink what if I were convinced that I was horribly wrong? What if I was twisted into thinking that that was the only way for me to, to strike back? I cover this kind of extreme stuff in the news, the, the, the physical assaults and the, and the murders and the stabbings. Violent crime is up in Los Angeles this past year, and I think it's fair to say bad behavior is up. And we can chalk this up to the pandemic in part, you know, the stress of the pandemic, or we can say they're just bad people out there and, and some people are worse than others. But what if there is another factor also at play? What if someone or something was doing the pushing, was doing the convincing, was doing the cajoling, was doing the twisting? and turning us against one another in these difficult times. And what if God in 2022 wants us, instead of fighting each other, to fight that? All right, if you could turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter, 10, uh, chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 17 today. The book of Ephesians is one of Paul's prison letters, and there's some debate as to whether Paul wrote it, but scholars generally agree that he did. It's kind of a magnum opus of the Bible. It covers the Bible's major themes, and the theme we're going to be talking about today is spiritual warfare. 
Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 17. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words. We thank you for this truth. We pray right now that you open our minds and enlighten our hearts so that it penetrates, that it stirs us, that it affects us, that it changes us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, throughout most of human history and throughout much of the world today, very few people have had problem believing that a devil or supernatural evil exists. It's only us in the Western world that largely think that we've grown out of it. We've grown past it. We prefer scientific and biological and psychological and sociological explanations as to why bad things happen. I remember covering the uh, recent smash and grab robberies uh, in Los Angeles. People have heard of those. And I interviewed several community leaders on this, And one community leader said it was the parents, you know, and it's social media. Social media is encouraging young people to cover things they don't have and to to steal to get them. And, And parents and community members and guardians and uncles and aunts need to whip them into shape and to teach them not to steal and to get a job. One other community leader said, no, it's it's society. It's it's racism, it's poverty, it's structural racism. We need to fix those things and then it will get better. Now, of course, there's some truth to all of these explanations, but they're not enough. They're not enough because we've been saying these things, we've been giving these reasons for the last 200 years, ever since the Enlightenment, when in in the Enlightenment we thought, oh, we have it figured out, that through reason and through science and through psychology and through sociology and through biology, we can solve these problems. But then came two world wars, the Holocaust, Genocide, the Rwandan genocide, the Armenian genocide, the Bosnian genocide. And today we still have concentration camps in China, child kidnappings in Africa, mass shootings here in the U.S., and sex trafficking all over the world. Not to mention the things that we do to each other every day. The physical and the emotional abuse. The unkind words. The scathing comments, the cheating, the lying the gossip, the ghosting. Try as we do to assess these things, to explain these things, we fall short. We fall short because our answers are too simplistic. They are too simplistic. Andrew Del Banco, who describes himself as a secular liberal, wrote a book called The Death of Satan. And in it, he had this quote. 
A gulf has opened up in our culture between the visibility of evil and the intellectual resources to cope with it. A gulf has opened in our culture between the visibility of evil and the intellectual resources to cope with it. You see, only the Bible, only the Bible, only Christianity has the most comprehensive and nuanced explanation as to why evil exists. Because, the o- because only the Bible describes evil as complex, as nuanced, as layered, as shrewd, as clever, and as personal. Because the Bible doesn't just describe evil as the Hitlers and the Mussolinis and the, and the Pol Pots and the serial killers of the world. No, the Bible says that evil is inside all of us. It's inside us, it's all around us, and it has a name. Let's go back to our scripture and focus on a couple verses in particular, 11 through 12. Ephesians 6, verses 11 through 12. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So the Bible says that evil began when an angel named Satan rebelled against God and fell from heaven. And Jesus describes this in Luke chapter 10. He says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And in 2 Peter 2, it describes how other angels also rebelled against God and fell from heaven. And and these are the spiritual forces that this passage is talking about. These are forces from heaven that are much less powerful than God, but more powerful than us as human beings. And when you combine that with the fact that human beings themselves rebelled in Genesis chapter 3, then you have a very, very toxic mix. You have human beings, all of us who decided we want to make our own rules, we want to follow our own selfish desires and worst instincts, and you have someone egging us on. And there you have it. You have the three dimensions of evil, according to the Bible. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Now, if you're thinking to yourself right now, I don't know, this sounds kind of fantastical to me, kind of Harry Potter-ish, I just don't buy it. Well, that's no accident. You know, C.S. Lewis said our two biggest mistakes is either believing that the devil doesn't exist or to have an unhealthy interest in him. I believe that was also from the usual suspects. Kaiser Sose said that. We either believe too much in the devil. Oh, the devil gave me a flat tire. No, actually, you ran over a nail there. Or he believes, or we don't believe in the devil at all. And the devil loves both errors because the devil is a deceiver. It's built into his name. The Greek word for devil is diabolos, which means liar. It means deceiver. It means manipulator. He's a manipulator. He plays us. Tim Keller describes it this way. When you open up a piano and you sing a note into it, the corresponding note will vibrate. And that's what he does. He knows our sensitive notes. 
He vibrates them. He plays our strings. He knows our vulnerabilities and our weaknesses. And he lies to us about them so we can do things that are bad for ourselves and bad for other people. What are the type of lies that he tells? Well, we have a list. We have eight of them, just eight. There are many more, but here are some eight key ones. Number one, show the bait, hide the hook. Show the bait, hide the hook means he shows you the short-term pleasure of sin but hides the long-term misery. Porn is a perfect example. You'll feel good short-term, long-term, it'll ruin your relationships and ruin your marriage. Number two, he'll rationalize sin as virtue. Oh, you're not greedy, you're just thrifty. You're not gossipy, you're just concerned. Number three, point to the failure of others, especially the church. We've seen a lot of that this year. Look at those headlines. Look at those church leaders. Look what they're doing. Look at what the church did to you. What's the point of being a Christian? Number four, distort God's love and holiness. Either play up God's love and play down his holiness or play up his holiness and play down his love. You can do anything you want. God will still love you. Oh, you did that? Oh, God will never love you again. Number five, bitterness over suffering. He'll exploit that bitterness. No one knows what you've gone through. No one knows how you've suffered. You have every right to be angry. You deserve this. Number six, comparison. Look at all those non-Christians having great lives. You should be one. You should marry one. Number seven, dwelling on past mistakes, especially the ones whose damage can't be undone. And you call yourself a Christian. You're hopeless. And number eight, portraying troubles as punishment, making you think that the difficulties you're going through are punishment for past sins, which is different from consequences. These came from a uh, 17th century British pastor because I know you cannot get enough of British pastors. I'm just going to use every opportunity to show this photo that I can. (laughs) Do you recognize any of these? I do. Pretty much done all of them. There was a period in my life where I used every rationalization, every excuse to run away from God. I would go into a church and I would hear something that that I thought was kind of political. So I'd be like, I'm out of here. Or I would see a headline about another church leader that did something terrible. And I think, oh, what hypocrites. I don't want any part of that. The reality was I just wanted to do me. And at the time, I just wanted to be a big player. But I began to know that something was wrong when I entered this dating relationship. And the fact of the matter is I wanted really just to be a physical relationship. And of course, I hid that. And when it came time for me to walk away, I could see tears in her eyes. She knew she had been used. You see, evil is most destructive 
to your soul when it disguises itself as something else. Evil doesn't say, go break that person's heart. It doesn't say, go cheat on your taxes. Go steal that thing you like on the window. Go gouge the poor. No, it says, you deserve these things. You deserve recognition because evil either puffs you up or brings you down. And he plays on your insecurities. You're only as good as how successful you are. You're only as good as how you look on Instagram. And if things don't work out for you, it's someone else's fault. Those people are the problem. Men are the problem. Women are the problem. He's playing us. He's seeing our sensitive notes and he's vibrating them. He's pulling our strings. We need to be aware of the devil's schemes. And we need to put on the armor of God. Let's go back to our scripture. Ephesians 10, this time verses 13 through 17. We're going to go over again. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so when the evil day comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Notice it says, put on the full armor of God. Not find the full armor of God, not get the full armor of God, but put on the full armor of God because the armor of God is something we already have, that we already have as followers of Jesus because Jesus has already won the battle against evil. He's already won the victory. He did it by going to the cross and he'll complete that victory when he comes back. In the meantime, when we put on the armor of God, we live into that victory. We live into what he has done. We live into the truth of who he is and the truth of who he says we are. We are children of God. We have an inheritance that is the armor of God. We have an illustration to show this. The armor of God. We have these things. We have truth. We have righteousness. We have peace. We have faith. We have salvation. We have the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. These are the benefits and privileges of the gospel that he has given to us as believers. There are protection. There are our weapons, both offensive and defensive, to use, to put on when we are most vulnerable, when we are most scared, because that's when the devil likes most to attack. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus' disciples are on a boat, and they're terrified. They're terrified because you know, a big storm is hit, And they wake Jesus up, they fear they're about to die, and they say, and I love the King James language on this, Master, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And Jesus wakes up and looks at them and says, Where is your faith? Where is your faith? You know who I am. You know what I've done. You know that I keep my promises. You know that all things work for good for those 
who love me, where is your faith? Tim Keller says what Jesus is saying to all of us is why are you worrying? Why do you have anxiety? That when we have worry, when we have anxiety, we are essentially saying to Jesus, Master, careth thou not that we perish? Don't you care? And Jesus says back to us, where is your faith? Put on the armor of God. I want to address now to my fellow singles in the room. All you married folks, you can transport back in time and kind of activate that mindset. Uh, A few weeks ago, you may remember, uh, Bethany Allen gave a wonderful sermon on Jesus and singleness. And she talked about how uh, Jesus, how the Bible equates marriage and singleness. So there's no reason to feel sorry for us. Thank you for your prayers, but also encourage us in our singleness as the Apostle Paul would do. But she also talked about the challenges of being faithful as a single. And I know it, I get it, I feel it. Over the years, I've had many terrific single friends who have lamented their singleness, and I know it, I feel it, I get it. But every once in a while, I get someone who is like 28 years old and comes up to me and says, oh, I don't know if I'll ever meet anyone, and I feel so old now. And I'm like, shut up. I'll be 56 this year. Thank you. Ash and I are the same age about, and we agreed that 56 is the new 46. Never been married, but my heart is full. My life is full. I have amazing friends here at Vintage. I have an amazing church family. I have two beautiful goddaughters whose pictures I love to throw up every time I talk about them. Here they are, I know, right? Six-year-old Riley and three-year-old Dylan, their parents are Matt and Stephanie Ayers, dear, dear friends of mine. I know that, that God has blessed me so, so much, and I'm committed to stay faithful to him. You know, I've been celibate for the last 12 years now, and I don't know if marriage is going to happen or not, but I'm going to wait until then. I'm going to be obedient. Because putting on the arm of God also means obedience. It means staying obedient no matter how difficult things get, no matter how tough life gets, no matter what the enemy throws your way. And this is the tough part for all of us to hear. Either we belong to him or we belong to God. Jesus said as much, in Matthew 16, when he rebuked Peter, Peter, excuse me, yeah, Peter was rebuking Jesus, and Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but only human concerns. And C.S. Lewis said that there is no such thing as neutral ground in the universe, that you doing you Me doing me is just an illusion. That every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. 
You either belong to one or belong to the other. You're either being formed by one or being formed by the other. You're either being formed by the things of the world or by the things of God. You're either being formed by Netflix and TikTok and Twitter or by the things of God. Now, there is room for these things. I'm not going to miss season four of Cobra Kai. He's a Cobra Kai fan. All right, a few of you. But we have to reflect on proportion. How much time are we spending on these things versus the things of God? Because our choices become our habits, and our habits turn into our character. Because Galatians 6 says, we reap what we sow. And the more we sow into the things of God, the more we let those things seep into our most innermost parts. That's when he changes us. That's when he changes our values. That's when he changes the way we think. That's when he changes the way we look at things and the way we react to things. And the enemy can't stand a chance against that. Cannot stand a chance. And that's why it's so important to have our community groups, to have Bible study, to have prayer, to have meditation. Pastor Ash talks about all the time the importance of silence and solitude and time with God. We have two retreats every year here at Vintage, one at Advent and one at Lent coming up with a few months. I encourage you to be a part of that. A time of silence and solitude with God. And in a few weeks, I'll be joining my friend Leif over there and my friend Earl, and we're going to be headed up to a place that Ash recommended, St. Andrew's Abbey, which is a monastery in the Mojave Desert. Leif and I were there um, a couple months ago. And we're going to drive up together, but once we get there, we're going to split up, and it's all about alone time with God. And every few hours, we get to pray with the monks. And then we get to eat with the monks. And those monks make good food. Am I right, Life? Yes. They are good, good cooks. You see, I know I need that time with God because I work in mainstream media, so I am bombarded every day with the things of the world. I live in L.A., which means I am bombarded every day with the things of the flesh. And I serve in the church, which means I love, I I know, I know the enemy would love to take me off course. And I know if I don't focus on the things of God, if I don't invest that time, I'm going to end up fighting the wrong things. I'm going to end up fighting my family, my friends, customer service representatives, everything, everyone, except the one I shouldn't be fighting. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up now, and then Ash is going to lead us out in response and in prayer. In his book, uh, Live No Lies, brand new book by John Mark Comer, he said, our fellow human beings are not the enemy. They are the objects of Jesus' love. And our job is to fight for them, not with them. So let us pray into this next year, into 2022, 
and commit ourselves not to fighting each other, but to fighting the real enemy and to standing our ground.